0: Our Lord, Amen Just a beautiful array of songs Thank you for leading us Great to be back in the Gospel of John. In 1563, there was a question that was asked. Do you remember that question? You remember that question? What is your only comfort in life and in death? You remember the answer? You know I'm going to read it for you. This is part seven of our Jesus series in John 6, the answer to that question that was asked in 1563, what is your only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's a beautiful question, a glorious answer. We're back in, as I said, the Gospel of John. We're in John 6. If you're visiting with us, we're working our way verse by verse through the Gospel of John. John 6 is one unit. It is a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture. Many say, arguably, it has the deepest, richest, most beautiful truths in all of Scripture contained within this single chapter. You know, as people, as people, we are made in the image of God. We share in what theologians call the Imago Dei. All people, regardless of their religion, share in the image of God. We just so happen to be those who worship in spirit and in truth, because we are united to the one who said that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one gets to God, the father, except through him. And so when we come to worship, we do so. In spirit and in truth. That's not arrogance, that's just the way it is. By grace we have been given eyes to see truth, and so we worship. And yet, as true worshipers who have been sought by the Father, we are still given to worshipping the wrong things. Worshipping that which God never designed for us to worship. Worship is what we esteem, what we love, what we regard, what we have affections for. And one thing about John 6 that among many that is beautiful and glorious is that it calls us to ever be mindful of whom we should be worshiping, whom we should worship as the source of our life. You remember? Where do we get that from? We got that from the beginning of John 6 when Jesus feeds the multitudes, 20 plus thousand men, women and children. He feeds them when the Passover was near, John mentioned in John four. That's a theological statement, you remember, because the Passover was a key component of of life and a key component of the Passover was bread. And Jesus is feeding the masses bread to as a sign to display that I am the one who will provide you spiritual food. You remember that? Then we saw also and John six reminds us to always keep our worship in check, always upon the Lord Jesus is because we saw when Jesus thrust the disciples out into that boat, out into the storm and he pushed them, he ordained that storm for them all while he was up on the hill praying for them. And then he eventually went in the boat with them. We saw there that he's the sustainer of our life. He's not only the source of our spiritual life, but he also sustains us on our journey through life, another key thing about John 6 and where we kind of find ourselves this morning is that we learn also that Jesus is not only the source of our life, the sustainer of our life. He also is and must be the satisfaction of our life in that he is the bread of life. And that's where I want to pick up reading this morning in verse 35. I want to read through to verse 59, but our focus this morning will be on verses 41 to 51. Follow along with me in your Bibles as I read. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You remember they had come. They had chased him, as it were, over the other side of the sea. They had come looking for their stomachs to be filled. Jesus said to them, look, you only come to me because you ate of the bread loaves and were filled. I am the bread of life. You know, he says to them that um, he came down from heaven. He gives life to the world. He's not like the bread that God gave Moses to give in the form of manna. He is the bread of life. He who comes to me, he says, will not hunger. How do you come? What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to believe in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus and believe in Jesus, the same thing. It means you've come to him. If you come to him, he says, you will not hunger. Why will you no longer hunger? Because you're finally able to appropriate. That which God has ordained for you to find fulfillment in. That's why, and and then he says, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Why? Jesus said earlier to the woman at the well that if you drink of me, you'll never thirst, because from me comes fountains of living water. You remember in John three that or John four, rather, that woman had to. The people would always return to the well for physical water. Well, we always need physical water, but one drink of Jesus spiritually will satisfy every quench and every thirst that your soul longs for. But I said to you, he says in verse 36, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. That's who's before him, a group of people who are not believing. Then Jesus finds comfort and teaches them, teaches them profound truth in verse 37. All that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Why? Because in verse 38, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me. There it is again. I lose nothing. So we're reminded as we read these words that Jesus has been sent on a mission by his father before the foundation of the world. The father gave the son a people. That's you and I, the redeemed, the ones that he would redeem. And Jesus is saying that he he won't lose any of us, but he'll raise us up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, verse 40, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life, present possession. You and I. Uh, awaiting the full fulfillment and expression of our eternal life, but we most certainly possess eternal life now. And he says, I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now, verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. They were grumbling. Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. Here's why. No one can come to me. Unless the father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has. Not will have, has eternal life. And in case you forgot, I am the bread of life. Verse forty nine. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another. Saying, how can this man, can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in your cells. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 59... These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. Father, we come before you having read these words of enormity. We pray, Father, that you'd bless this time. Speak to us through your word. Grant us the attending, illuminating spirit of your ministry of your spirit. Give us attentive hearts and minds and give me clarity of mind and mouth. Bless this time. Help us to worship you. Help us to adore you. You are ever true. And all God's people said, Amen. The last time we were together in John's Gospel, we looked at three ways that Jesus Kind of revealed the Father to us in verses 38 to 40. We want to pick up now in verse 41. And in verses 41 to 51, there's going to be three pieces to this encounter. I want us to not lose the forest for the trees, which is why I opened by saying the things I did about the chapter that is John 6. But I don't want us to just be lost down in the trees themselves, but We want the forest and the trees. We want John 6 and verses 41 to 51 if we're going to be served well this morning. And so three key little components that we'll look at in verses 41 to 51 that will help us stay fixated and focused on rejoicing that Jesus is the source of our life, the sustainer of our life, and the satisfaction of our life. Life is hard. Life is filled with trial, promised trial. Trial that weans us off the world and helps us to look to Jesus. Trial that weans us off ourselves and helps us to look to Jesus. Trial that helps us grow in greater manifestations of Christ's likeness so that greater manifestations of God's, God's glory can be made evident in this world as we live it. The three features that we're going to look at is a grumbling in verses 41 to 43, if you're taking notes. A grumbling. Then there's a granting. There's a granting that comes after that in verses 44 to 47. And then there's a giving. A giving in verses 48 to 51. Pretty simple. A grumbling a granting, and then a giving. Look with me again at verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. This bread of life discourse, as it's known, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This took place in the synagogue at Capernaum. And so these Jews that are grumbling in verse 41... They are the religious men from that synagogue, from that area, and they're grumbling among themselves in response to Jesus' teaching. You know, they have certainly heard about, or perhaps highly likely seen themselves, Jesus performing the sign of providing bread, and as they have heard all Jesus' words to the crowds, when he's called them to believe, when he's told them that he's come to do the will of the Father, when he said that he's the true bed out of heaven, they start to grumble. They start to complain and they start to murmur. Now, a key part of this to remember is that Jesus is among the people, he's giving bread, he's giving that physical bread to show that just as God gave physical bread in the wilderness to the people of Israel, to the Jews, here now, God is being revealed. By the Son, as the Son Gives as the true bread of heaven, gives them not just physical life, but spiritual life. And the first response we see to all that is a murmuring, and a complaining, a grumbling. In verse forty-two, you can't really convey in the English language how how much displeasure there is in those words. Is this not Jesus? Don't read that as like, is this not Jesus, the Son? No, no. There's derision in those words. And when when you see God in human flesh, because remember, we must always come to this gospel through the lens of John chapter one, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. We come to that gospel and every passage through that lens as we come through that lens and we consider what God in the flesh is doing right now and providing bread, what does this remind you of? What does this bring to mind to you? Well, the religious Jews here, they sound a lot like their forefathers. They sound a lot like their ancestors, don't they? You remember the people of Israel, the Jews, the religious. They were given so much. They were provided for in the grandest of ways. They were delivered from oppression. And yet, listen to what we read about in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. What they say, it says this. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. God had given the nation... The congregation of the people, leaders, to proclaim to them God's will and God's ways. And they grumbled against them. Verse 3 of Exodus 16 says, The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole Assembly with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Then, verse 8 of Exodus 16 says, Moses said, this will happen when Yahweh gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For Yahweh hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we, Moses said? Your grumblings are not against us, but against Yahweh, the Lord. These Religious Jews grumbled and groaned and complained back then in the wilderness, and they grumbled here as Jesus brought divine truth to them and revealed the Father truly to them. Jesus said he was sent of heaven. They grumbled at that saying. In verse 41, when they said, I am the bread that came down of heaven, I want you to know they're not so much focusing so much on the fact that he said, I am bread. He's they're focusing on the fact that he said, I have come down out of heaven. They grumbled at that. No, this is just the nothing man. This is just a carpenter. We know his mum and dad. They disagree with what he is saying. They complain about him. And they complain to him. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on this verse, stated this quote, murmuring is the confused sound that runs through a crowd when people are angry and in opposition to some kind of teaching. This is what the religious leaders were doing in Christ's day, in regards to Christ's teaching. Others do it in our day. In fact, it is a sin which few, if any, are preserved from. Boyce then adds, the objections of the Jews took the form of criticism of Christ's person, rather than his teaching. They attacked him personally, saying in effect, don't listen to him, he's a nobody from the sticks of Galilee. It's important to notice that Jesus did not defend himself, as we might like to do. But instead, he returned to his teachings and he stated the doctrine again, end quote. That's what we see here. Each time they grumble, Jesus gives them doctrine. He, and if you look closely at their words, as I said, it's not so much about the bread that irritates them, but the mention of being sent from heaven. Why is that so irritable? Well, that places Jesus, doesn't it, in a higher more loftier, some say more noble place than them. They don't appreciate that one bit. And so they grumble. They actually don't even pause to think about how the fact that the Old Testament scriptures reveal that the Messiah will be lowly. They don't pause to think that Jesus being so lowly and so, quote unquote, normal could actually be himself the heaven sent bread and Messiah. And instead, they just fixated on rejecting him, rejecting him and his teachings, just like their ancestors rejected Moses and Aaron. And ultimately, as Moses and Aaron said, Yahweh himself. Grumbling. Note that Jesus does tell them to stop grumbling. In verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. <clears throat> The word for grumbling here is a word that conveys the idea of a muttered complaints and whispers of displeasure, as has been well said. The father had sent the son to dwell among them. To reveal the father to them, to perform the signs, to show who he was as the truth and as the one to provide all that they needed to be at peace with God. But in their hardness of heart. They remained outside of the blessing of God, outside of peace with God, because they rejected the Son of God from that little old, good-for-nothing Nazareth. If only they knew who they had rejected. All unbelief is caused by not looking at the Son, the Lord Jesus, with open eyes and open hearts. While we certainly are not given to the murmuring and complaining towards Jesus as these unbelieving Jews were, we can still be given to at times in our flesh a grumbling and a murmuring of a different sort ourselves. Paul addressed that in Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 to 16 when he wrote, do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and Perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding firmly to the word of life. And so this begins with this grumbling in response. It's a grumbling from the heart of unbelief towards Jesus. And after receiving and observing their grumbling here and telling them to cease from such a thing, Jesus now begins to refute their murmurs by showing them and by showing us where all the focus ought to be instead. And that is upon the grace of God. Upon the grace of God as the divine initiative in salvation. And that's heading number two. We see now here a granting. After the grumbling, there's now a granting in verses 44 to 47. Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. I want you to know that verse 44 is a negative version, if you will, of what Jesus had said in verse 37. Look up at verse 37. This is the same thing said in a more positive way. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. In the face of unbelief. Jesus brings up the sovereignty of God in salvation in verse 44, just as he did in verse 37. I want you to see why Jesus does this. We would perhaps not approach it this way, right? We wouldn't say such deep doctrine to an unconverted soul. That's what Jesus does here. Much of our evangelism is not like this. We think that maybe this will scare people off. But this is how Jesus handled the unbelief before him, at least in this instance. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Why, Why say such a thing in the presence of unbelief you would, think of, you would think that such a thing, such a deep truth about the sovereignty of God would be better left in the upper room or in discipleship as they walked along the way. Here's why Jesus says what he says in verse 44. In the face of grumbling unbelief. Being God, he's innately aware of the given disposition and propensity of mankind to feel independent and capable. That's why. Mankind believes they can make movements toward reconciliation to their own creator, by their own will, and their own ability, at their own choosing and their own timing. I mentioned before that we're all created in the image of God, regardless of religion. Then I mentioned how we have been united to the one who is the truth. But when you think of all the other religions in the world, they're all the same. They're not different. They're all the same. They are all trying to earn favor with God. They are all believing that they can, of their own volition, make themselves right with God and earn peace with God by their own works. Jesus knows the very frame of man. That's the given disposition. And so he just crushes that idea in verse 44. Just crushes it. Why does he do that? To drive the sinner low. To, To seek to break off that independent spirit. That capableness. That they might look. To something outside of themselves. You see. There is zero ability. For unbelieving mankind. To recognize. Nor even receive anything about Jesus. Both his person. Who he is. And his work. What he does and what he did. Unless God does a work. In that person's heart. We have a biblical anthropology here. At our church. We understand that man is born dead into sin, as Simon read earlier. In verse 47, all this was positively put and more gentler by Jesus, if you will. But here now in verse 44, the same Jesus states it explicitly and unashamedly that no one can come to God unless God the Father draws him. Now. No doubt. Among Christians, this verse is sometimes hotly debated. The whole concept is hotly debated, but it really not need be. It really not need be because you always must remember. That before the foundation of the world, the father gave a people to the son. Jesus repeatedly says, Father, all that you have given me, they will come to me. I'll die for them and then I'll I'll keep them. I'll sustain them in this life. They've granted eternal life. I don't orphan any of them out. And then I'll raise them up on the last day. It's a beautiful thing. That's yours. In Christ, that's mine. Verse 44 says what it means and means what it says. No one, that means without exception, can, which by the way is a term of ability, Jesus didn't say no one may come. That's a, May is a term of permission. Can is a term of ability. No one can come. What does it mean to come? Remember, to believe. To me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. The word draws is a strong word. It's used several times in Scripture. It's used to refer to Peter drawing his sword to lop the guy's ear off. It's used of fishing nets being pulled back to the boat. It's used of Peter in Acts 16 of the apostles and the like being dragged before the magistrate. Each example of this word, no different here in John 6, conveys the idea of an accomplished movement with a little resistance that is overcome. You don't ever really want to go and stand before the magistrate if you're up on charges, do you? There's a little bit of resistance, but you got there in the end. It Conveys the idea of resistance. A little bit. But it's an accomplished movement that occurs. That's how God works in the heart of a person. That's how God has worked in your heart here. If you are a worshipper of the one true and living God this morning. He sovereignly draws to Himself people. In our unregenerate state, prior to being born from above, born by the Spirit of God, we were just in this hostile state, weren't we? God and the things of God were not our interest. But none of that is any match for the matchless love and grace of God. You and I were rebels running away from God. God in his love and grace drew us, called us to himself. The reason Jesus can say what he says in verse 37 and in verse 44 is that because all that the father gives to the son will come to the son. And to come to the Son, as I said, means to believe and trust the Son and to come and believe you do so because God's grace is effective in drawing you to come. This is what we refer to as regeneration, right? Where God takes a person who was born into this world. In possession of Adam's sinful nature and Adam's guilty standing, one who is, according to First Corinthians, chapter two, verse 14, a person who both considers the things of God in Christ to be foolishness and who is unable to grasp the truth of Christ because they are dead to sin. And then God, by his love and grace and power to save, breathes new spiritual life into a spiritually dead heart and creates a new heart that is made willing which has its affections altered radically. So that the drawing that God the Father makes upon one of those whom he gave to the Son is not one where the person is dragged kicking and screaming against their will. But they are drawn affectionately and effectively having had their sinful Desires subdued and their affections altered. That is what King Jesus does as king over our hearts. He subdues our sinful desires. He alters our affections and he summons us to come. And it's all a gracious act of God the Father drawing us to himself. And unless that happens, nothing happens. That should well up gratitude in our hearts alienated from God, hostile to God, an enemy of God, lost, without God, without hope. King Jesus comes, sent from the Father, summons us to himself. We come. We are united. The blessing is all ours. This is the grand theme of the Gospel of John, particularly, and Scripture itself, that God saves lost sinners who were altogether unable to save themselves. And he does so. By implanting in them willing hearts. Psalm 110 verse 3 says so beautifully. Your people shall be made willing in the day of your power. So rich is this promise. In verse 14 that Jesus repeats what he had said prior. And that is look at the end of verse 44. That I will raise that person up on the last day. We're granted life, granted grace, granted resurrection, granted so much. In verse 45 now, Jesus explains more the kind of drawing that the Father performs. Look there in verse 45. Jesus says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. That is a Beautiful, striking statement. Jesus here is quoting Isaiah 54 verse 13. The context there in Isaiah 53 and 54 is obviously the suffering servant of Yahweh, the Lord Jesus himself. And what this kind of reveals to us when Jesus goes back into the Old Testament and quotes an Old Testament prophet to kind of strengthen his argument here. As he explains how the father draws. is It reveals that part of the plan for God in this suffering servant of Jesus. Is that God himself will teach his children. That's what Isaiah 54 verse 13 says. All your children will be taught of you. It's beautiful. Where does God do this teaching. Well, he does teaching in the heart, in the heart, in the work of regeneration. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of these days, Jeremiah chapter 31, speaking of the new covenant being a time where God would not write his truth on tablets of stone any longer, but that a time would come where he would write them on he would write his truth on hearts. It was Ezekiel, the prophet, who spoke of a day to come where God's children would be given new hearts and a new spirit. And it was Joel, another prophet, who spoke of a time in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, when not only Jews, but all ethnicities from around the world would receive a new spirit. And it's amazing when you think about it. Jesus here in verse 45 has hearkened back to the Old Testament prophets. He himself, as king of kings, is saying that no one can come. They must be taught of God. No one can come. You know the apostle Paul. He wrote things like, no one can utter that Jesus is Lord unless the spirit of God does a work. So you've got the Old Testament prophets sent of God. you got Jesus, the king of kings, sent of God. And you've got the apostles. All testifying that no one can come to God unless God first does a work in them. There is this granting. The end of verse 45, every, Jesus says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God does a work of teaching when he regenerates our hearts. and. What is regeneration? Remember this. Regeneration is the planting of the life of God in our very hearts. And the work of regeneration by the Spirit comes down in time and applies to us all the spiritual blessings that Christ purchased for us on the cross. We are given so much. We are taught of God as he Ignites our hearts. And then that's from the Father. We hear and learn because God opens our eyes and our hearts. And then because of that, Jesus says in verse 45, that person then comes to me. They believe in me. These are all incredibly rich truths. Look at verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father. Except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. You remember that prior to Jesus' coming, John could write in verse 18 of John chapter 1, No one has seen God at any time. But then he says, But the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So when we look full in the face of Jesus, we we see who God the Father is. And then... Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. There's this giving, uh, sorry, there's this granting. This granting of eyes to see, to not be left in an unbelieving state, but to be taught of God. There are many things that seek to teach us. You think of the world and what it's taught. John the Apostle wrote in 1 John that the whole world lies under the sway, the power of the evil one. There are many lies that are taught. But for some reason, God chose that you and I would be taught the ways, the will, and the wonders of God. Imagine lacking gratitude in light of that. This is why John 6, the forest and the trees is so important. Because you and I are still given to wandering and worrying and worshipping that which we shouldn't wander to or worry about or worship. Seeking satisfaction in that which we were never made to seek satisfaction from. But as we dwell upon these truths that you and I have been taught of God, so undeserved, only an act of his mercy. You and I would be able to sail high through the dramas of life and the pains of life and be like, you know what? I am so grateful. I can echo with my brother, the Apostle Paul. I will rejoice. I will say again, I will rejoice. It'll be hard. I'll pray without ceasing, but I will rejoice. We've been taught of God. We haven't taught ourselves. haven't been taught of me. Anytime I teach me, it goes bad. We've been taught of God. That's the granting. Very quickly, in verses 48 to 51, we see now a giving. A giving. Jesus kind of recaps here. Hey, look, unless you forgot, verse 48, look there. I am the bread of life. There's a lot of junk food out there that you're going to be drawn to. But hey, remember, I'm the bread of life. There's a lot that the world will like a magnet or try and conform me into. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Eat of me, look at me, come to me, believe in me, continue to believe in me, continue to lay hold of all the blessings that are yours because you possess eternal life. I'm the bread of life, he says. And then verse forty nine, he kind of reminds them, hey, you know what? You know when you were grumbling before? You know what? Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They complained in the wilderness and they died. And then you can almost imagine he, in verse 50, he plants his index finger in his chest and he says, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven. So that the one who eats of it Will not die. He says I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. He was given. If anyone eats of this bread he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that phrase kind of then gives way to those very. Understandably in some ways. Hard words when Jesus talks about. Eating him and drinking his blood. But all that to say in verses 48 to 51 that, oh, what we have been given. We could have remained in grumbling unbelief, but we were granted new. Because the Father gave in the act of giving His beloved Son. Do you believe in this beloved Son? Because every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being... Worships something. But John 6 reminds us. That God the Father. Sent his son to be the source of our life. the Sustainer of our life. And the satisfaction of our life. And verses 41 to 51. Inject I pray. A deep gratitude. For this life. If you don't believe in the son. You have to trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That you are a guilty sinner unable to save yourself. That he hung upon that cross and he bore in himself all the punishment that is due you. Every last drop of the judgment of God that was meant to fall upon you because of your sin fell upon him on that cross he rose again victorious he says he is the resurrection and the life and he gives you new life if you come and believe in the true bread sent from heaven the lord jesus let's pray father we come before you and say thank you for this opportunity to be in your word again Lord, glory doesn't exist in the tabernacle in a cloud. Glory now is found in the pages of Scripture as you have opened our eyes to see full in the face of Jesus. And so we behold the glory of Jesus this morning as we read and hear his words, your words to us. Lord, help us to find gratitude in our hearts. Lord, Jesus is our only comfort in life and in death. He's our only comfort because we belong to him and no longer ourselves. But by the grace of God, we would be grumbling in unbelief. But you've granted us such grace by giving us so much. Help us to live in light of those truths, we pray and all God's people said.